Welcome to World Policy on Air, a weekly podcast from the pages and website of World Policy Journal, published by the nonprofit World Policy Institute in New York. I'm David Alpern. In this week's program, posted December 15, 2017, we spotlight a recent World Policy blog post about the social and political roots of a new drug scare in Budapest and elsewhere around Hungary. We'll also preview top stories in the new WPJ winner issue, cover line Native Voices. But first, some timely insights from global affairs analyst and author Michael Moran, head of Transformative.io, risk and geostrategy consultants, and a visiting fellow at the Carnegie Corporation of New York. Thanks, David. The year's end approaches and everyone from the State Department to social media celebrities are putting their finishing touches on forecasts for the year to come. I'm no exception. Will 2018 be more stable, prosperous, humane, and sustainable than the year now ending, or has humanity somehow slipped into a period where the trajectory of all these statistics is inevitably downward? There certainly are reasons to be glum. The Bulletin of Atomic Scientists since 1947 has maintained a doomsday clock, and during the Cold War it gyrated from two minutes to midnight to about seven minutes. In post-Cold War 1995, it was dialed all the way back to 14 minutes to midnight, but now we're at two and a half minutes to midnight, roughly where we were in 1953, when Stalin ruled the Soviet Union and they tested their first hydrogen bomb. This strikes me as a bit less than scientific. A better measure can be found at the Council on Foreign Relations, which publishes a preventative priorities survey. For 2018, the PPS indicates that while many conflicts could erupt, Only three make the survey's Tier 1 definition of being both moderately likely and having a high potential impact on the world. The recently ramped up North Korean standoff with the U.S. leads the list. A possible clash between NATO and Russian forces in Europe is second. And a conflict between China and those who dispute its recent aggressiveness in the South and East China Seas brings up the rear. CFR's measure avoids hyperbole, as it should. Full disclosure, I'm one of those surveyed. But as unfashionable as it is to say these days, I'm thinking 2018 will by and large be a good one for the world. Some of my optimism is drawn from the good economic climate. The World Bank, the Chinese and Goldman Sachs, many others see strong global growth in the coming year. That's in part because all of the planet's large economies and economic blocks are growing at the same time. The new wealth created will be unevenly distributed, yes, but it's better than not distributing any wealth at all. But the real reason to be optimistic is simply that the worst fears of Pollyanna's failed to materialize in 2017. Despite Syria's ongoing civil war, for instance, global deaths caused by war are near a three-century low. And 90% of the world today has access to clean water, according to the World Bank, up from just 76% in 1990. So yes, there are problems. But we have mostly lived to fight another year. So let's not be too negative this New Year's Eve. After all, if we're always saying it's two minutes to midnight... How will we motivate anyone to tackle the big long-term issues facing humanity? Taking a step back and a deep cleansing breath as 2017 turns to 2018 can help us all make the world a better place. For World Policy On Air, this is Michael Moran. You're listening to World Policy On Air. Now this. What happened was we got in the cab, we paid for the suite, another 60 bucks or something, a little bit more, it was 80, it's like 80 bucks, you know, we give them the money. Oh yeah, I wasn't even watching, always watch when you're like 
Yeah. Keep an eye. Yeah. There's a sleight of hand. These guys are magicians out here. We started freaking out. <laughs> I was like, my heart was racing. I don't Challenges like those faced by four young Westerners trying to buy marijuana in Budapest, as detailed in their YouTube video last summer, is hardly the city's biggest drug problem these days. Local newspaper headlines about that time blared drug invasion. New designer drug wreaks havoc. Death toll rising. Hundreds of articles described hospitalizations and fatal overdoses from the use of new psychoactive substances, especially among the poorest and most marginalized of Hungary's capital. There were predictable police sweeps and arrests, notably in one area particularly affected, but law enforcement was not getting to the social roots of the problem, according to Peter Shiroshi, a local human rights activist and drug policy expert. Representing the Hungarian Harm Reduction Network at the National Government's Drug Advisory Body since 2007, Shiroshi recently wrote about the situation for the World Policy blog, and we talked about it the other day for this podcast. Peter Shiroshi, welcome to World Policy on Air. Hello. You say Hungary's official response to the drug problem in Budapest is typical of what sociologists call moral panic. How is that defined? So the concept of moral panic was introduced to the sociologist literature by Stanley Cohen, who wrote a book called Folks, Devil, and Moral Panics in the 1960s. And actually he calls moral panic the phenomenon when a certain social group is uh, alienated and, uh, and discriminated by the norm-abiding population, and the media creates a hype, uh, uh, exaggerating the problem and portraying that social group as deviant and dangerous for social norms and values. And, um, and actually, moral panics usually contribute to the escalation of repressive responses from the government, in the context of moral panics, it is uh, it is very difficult to uh, to highlight the structural inequalities that are behind the problems, such as poverty, unemployment, racial, racial segregation, or discrimination. Which is in case I think they, these are the real problems we should talk about. To get particular, tell us about the area most impacted by the new drug problem. Where is it? What does it look like? Actually, the whole city is affected to a certain extent by the problem, but the most affected part of Budapest are those where the, the most concentrated uh, people, populations live who live in poverty, deep poverty. Uh, so the poorest uh, neighborhoods of Budapest are most affected. And there is one neighborhood which is especially affected, and that's called uh, uh, Hör Street, which is uh, in the suburbs of Budapest. And uh, there are, you know, block houses there built uh, before the Second World War. And uh, these uh, block houses were built for the poorest uh, inhabitants of Budapest. They are usually, you know, very small apartments where sometimes they, these apartments are shared by more families and uh, there is no running hot water in the, in the apartments. People should share uh, toilets. So these, these are not very, you know, favorable uh, living conditions. And, uh, and, and, and these uh, blockhouses are actually kind of epicenters of the drug problem in Budapest. Not only that, you know, poor people uh, uh, who live there, they, they, they use, uh, use these drugs, but it's also kind of, you know, the people who, who live there also sell these drugs. 
What about the changing population there, past and present, how it reflects a changing Hungary, uh, its challenged social systems and safety net? Actually, if you look at uh, the social inequalities in Hungary, that Hungary performs among the worst countries in the European Union. So we are on the 25th on the poverty list of the European Union. Uh, so the gap between the rich and the poor has been increasing since the fall of the old uh, communist regime. And between uh, uh, 2010 and 2013, the proportion of those living in deep poverty increased from 20 to 26 percent. And there are tens of thousands of children in Hungary who live in deep poverty. And uh, in these special neighborhoods, for example, there are 150 children uh, uh, who live there. And uh, the current government is not doing much to, you know, to help these people. And uh, actually, they cut the budget for social care and uh, public health care. And uh, they deal with social problems such as poverty and homelessness as mainly a policing, a law enforcement problem. So they criminalize the poor. And uh, for example, uh, the use of public spaces in, in, in most parts of Budapest is uh, an offense. And uh, homeless people are usually harassed by the police. And uh, drug use is a, is a crime. And, and the current government uh, actually uh, increased the penalties against uh, those who use drugs. And uh, there are many rates, police rates in these areas. And if you are poor, if you, for example, belong to the ethnic minority group we call Roma people, then you have much more chance to, to get arrested for drug use. And uh, in this area, uh, most people who live there are actually Roma people. So they, the color of their skin is actually darker than most Hungarians. And uh, they are uh, often discriminated by the police. Uh, they don't have any access to basic health care. Uh, they don't uh, participate in, in the public education. And they are most, most of them are unemployed. So there are a lot of problems with, with these uh, populations. Actually, I think the uh, drug problems are only the symptoms of uh, social ex exclusion of these people. When did drugs first come into the area? What kind of drugs and what are the new drugs uh, and the particular dangers involved with their, their composition and the way they're made? Before 2008, most people injected uh, heroin and amphetamines in Budapest. After 2008 and 2009, new drugs came to Hungary, not only to Hungary, but also to Europe. Uh, we call them new psychoactive substances or designer drugs. These, these drugs are produced uh, in, in Asia, mostly in China and India, and then they are imported to Hungary. And, uh, and uh, most of these drugs are either uh, synthetic stimulants, such as cutinone type drugs, which are usually injected, or uh, synthetic cannabinoid uh, type drugs, which are smoked. So they, they, these drugs are sold as substitutes for the natural cannabis plants, but of course their uh, uh, psychopharmacological properties are quite different. So they are actually more risky and more uh, dangerous. And uh, in this special neighborhood, most, most people, not most people uh, actually smoke this, uh, this uh, spice synthetic uh, cannabinoid products. And there's, there's hardly any regulation. I mean, of course, there's no official regulation, but, but nobody knows for sure how the particular batch of drugs they've purchased is really put together and what's in it. 
Yeah, that's right. Uh, this market of new psychotic substances is really unpredictable. So the, the greatest danger is that people don't know what they use. Uh, so that the government is banning the, the incoming new substances, one after the other, and that means that the, the market is, is, is in a constant flux and, uh, and there are always new, new substances in the market and there uh, you know, effects and those response can be quite different from the previous one. So people tend to overuse or overdose these uh, substances. And uh, another problem is that our treatment system and harm reduction system in Budapest is, is designed for opioid users, you know, and that, that, that's quite different than, uh, than, than the new psychoactive substance users who tend to be younger and tend to have different kind of uh, health problems. For example, uh, heroin was injected like three or four times a day, but uh, these new designer drugs are injected uh, 10 or 15 times a day. And that means that these people, for example, uh, uh, have a much more risk to uh, uh, infect uh, through sharing uh, injecting equipment such as needles and syringes. And uh, they have a much more demand for, for needle exchange, but in this period of uh, uh, the Hungary now we have less and less money on, on, on public health services. So this demand is not met. Actually, uh, new synthetic cannabinoids are imported to Hungary as a, in, a, in a powder form. And this powder needs to be solved in an acidic liquid and uh, they produce a liquid. And that liquid is sprayed on uh, different kinds of herbs. And uh, these herbs, and then, then these herbs are sold on the streets as they call it magic tobacco or uh, bio weed, or they, they call it different names. And actually, you know, this process uh, of producing this uh, this uh, sprayed herbs is not uh, supervised by you know chemists. But these people don't really have any chemist degree. So many mistakes are, are made during the process. And these mistakes sometimes can mean that people uh, overdose because, because there is too much uh, ingredients coming to the, to the substance or there, is some, there are some pollutants in the substance. And uh, so this, this kind of uh, insecurity and lack of uh, professionalism in, in, in making these substances and, and the properties of the black market, actually they cause a lot of accidents and a lot of problems in itself. So you don't even need to have a new substance. Maybe they just you know, made, made a mistake in the process of producing the same substance. What behaviors that these drugs cause prove most problematic to other people around Budapest? Is it, is it uh, selling them and is it, is it crime to raise money for them? What, what, is the, what, what are people who are not involved in the drug traffic uh, most aware of and most complaining about? When these drugs are overused, uh, then people tend to be paranoid and aggressive because of the use of these drugs and uh, they can behave oddly, you know, on public transportation, for example. Uh, we had reports that uh, some people were afraid of them, afraid of their behavior, or even some people were, you know, aggressively begging from them for money. So usually they don't really, you know, uh, beat up people or something like that, but they behave strangely, and that's enough to create uh, fear in the population. And uh, actually there is an increasing... Uh, 
public pressure on the local government and the police to, to solve this problem. And, but of course, this fear is also generated by the media reports. So the media always plays a role to sensationalize these issues. Talk about some of the organizations that are trying to deal with the area's drug problems, the kind of programs that they have. One of the organizations that try to help these people is called Contour Association. That's an NGO, and uh, they try to provide some help and consultation, organizing some events for kids, provide some alternative ways of spending their free time, consult their parents about uh, you know, parenting issues. So they try to support the community, and they try to uh, advocate for, for the community's rights. But, um, <clears throat> but actually, this is a very small NGO with very limited uh, capacities and resources. And what kind of support do they get or don't get from the local and national governments? Not much support, unfortunately. Uh, they, they got a room, uh, so they, they can rent a room uh, in one of the blockhouses, and in this room they can accept people and you know, they can make the consultations and even for, for the children, but they don't receive any, any financial support from the local government. The local government is you know, pointing their fingers to the national government, and the national government is pointing its fingers to the local government, so the, nobody wants to take the responsibility. There is no leadership in, in solving this problem. And in general, as I said, uh, there were many you know, budget cuts in terms of social spending in Hungary. So even, even those grants which are available for these NGOs are very uh, small. Worse than just withholding support, you say local government doesn't even communicate with the NGOs on the front line of the problem or, or the people themselves there. Say more about that, an effort simply to push tenants out. Yeah, I'm sure that many uh, people listening to this show heard about Hungary and its increasingly authoritarian government, which is now waging a war uh, on, on, on NGOs, on civil society organizations, uh, scapegoating actually NGOs for causing much trouble. And, uh, and actually this, this hostile attitude of the government to uh, civil society uh, is also you know, manifested in this uh, problem here in the Hurstreet uh, area, that you know, the local government is, is not really a partner when, when, it, when it talks to NGOs. It, it doesn't really have any dialogue with the local community. Uh, actually, uh, uh, they even try to evict as many people from the blockhouses as possible. They see the solution... Uh, of the problem actually to escalate the problem because then the community's indebtedness in indebtedness will increase and uh, and uh, and then they can you know evict uh, people from the area but there is no real plan for any any kind of social rehabilitation of this uh, of this uh, neighborhood which is missing and some service providers are simply afraid to work in the area you write not only for personal safety uh, but for fear of being scapegoated for the problem's persistence. Say more about that. Yes, uh, especially you know, harm reduction service providers. So those, those uh, NGOs who provide, for example, clean needles and syringes for, for people who use drugs, uh, they are afraid to go there and, uh, and then provide uh, health services for these people because the, so a few years ago, uh, there was some services in Budapest which were shut down because of uh, 
because of political attacks from local governments. Uh, the local governments claim that actually these NGOs are causing the problem by attracting drug users to the area. And, uh, and in two districts, uh, uh, needle exchange programs were shut down by, by lo local governments. So they are afraid that the same can happen with them. Uh, uh, and this is really, uh, I could I say, tragic because uh, um, because there is an increasing uh, uh, trend of, of, of hepatitis C infections, and this is clearly uh, connected uh, or caused by by injecting uh, drug use and sharing uh, needles. So in two in, in three years, uh, the prevalence of hepatitis C infections among drug users tripled in the country, and that's not accidental. That's partly because of the design of drug injection, but also because there is no no access to clean needles. So that that that, that that's that's a really big problem. That uh, even even those people who, who who try to help these people, they have to be afraid uh, to, to to go there because then they will be scapegoated as as uh, by by some populist politicians, so that's that's a really important barrier. To what degree are the drug sweeps and arrests spilling over to punish young people like those I saw protesting uh, the government, uh, increasingly dictatorial, as you say, of uh, Prime Minister Viktor Orban? Uh, is, is this is this sweep uh, intended to? put pressure on, on, an, on a whole segment of the population, uh, aside from drugs, that has been protesting his policies. Yeah, that's right. Actually, Orban's uh, Minister of Home Affairs, Shandor Pintier, is promoting a tough-on-crime approach, which is quite known in America as well. So, and they, they try to uh, repress those poor communities, especially those you know, communities of color, who they claim to be responsible for, you know, social uh, problems and uh, and nuisance on the street, and uh, they 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 use this kind of repression to silence those groups who are uh, who are who are representing and advocating for the rights of these groups. It was quite extraordinary. I was there in the Budapest, I guess, in the spring, and even the tour guides were wearing pins in solidarity with the big protests going on against the government's pressure on uh, the uh, Soros-supported uh, or, or, or uh, uh, originated university there. I was quite amazed to see the, the amount of public support for, uh, for a university. Yeah, that's right. There is there is uh, opposition to to the, to the government policies, uh, and uh, there is also you know not not only the the Central European University was uh, uh, one of the target of the government, but also NGOs because the government uh, introduced a, a new law uh, that uh, uh, um, actually requests uh, NGOs to register as foreign agents if they receive funding from international donors. So NGOs such as mine are also scapegoated in the in the media, in the government, pro-government media, and it's it's very hard to uh, you know to express your concerns or tell your opinion to the people when most of the media is not controlled by the government. So uh, sometimes even the drug law is used against uh, uh, you know political dissidents or, or, or opposition groups. Uh, for example. Uh, one club which was promoting some alternative events for use and uh, uh, some uh, opposition political groups were uh, 
uh, having meetings there. There was a huge police raid against them, and the local government closed the place and um, uh, claiming that it is like kind of drug distribution place without any evidence because only they found very small amount of drugs. And now, actually, a, a court decided that this was uh, uh, that this was actually violating the the rights of those people who operating that club. And uh, now the club was reopened. So there is a there is an ongoing fight. As a drug expert and advisor, what do you see as the most likely approach to dealing with the drug problem in Budapest and Hungary more broadly, given the prevailing social and government attitudes? And and what happens if only current law and order policies prevail? Yeah, you know, it's, uh, drug policy is not a rocket science. We know what works. We know it from other countries such as, you know, Portugal, which decriminalized drug use ten, more than 10 years ago. And we see that drug use did not increase, but actually drug problems decreased. Or well, we, we can now see that uh, in, in those states, in the United States, where cannabis was legalized, uh, the, the sky was not falling down. So uh, I think we know what works, harm reduction works. So we, what works is that to accept that drugs will not go away simply because we are punishing people who use them. Uh, and uh, we need to support those people who use drugs and not to punish them. There is an international campaign with this slogan now called the Support Don't Punish campaign, and uh, I think that that's the way Hungary should, uh, lead, uh, uh, should follow. But unfortunately, our current government is just going to the opposite uh, uh, direction. And actually, it's not only the problem of the government, but I have to admit that, uh, that Hungary as a society is a very socially conservative society. So we need to do a lot of public education to change attitudes uh, to, to, to minority groups and, uh, and to all kind of these sensitive social issues. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm afraid that, we need to, that this society needs to suffer a lot before it will acknowledge or recognize that there is, a, there, is a, there is another way, there is an alternative policy which can help them. Peter Shiroshi, thank you for your work and thank you for talking with us. Thank you very much. Peter Shiroshi is a human rights activist and drug policy expert. He's been representing the Hungarian Harm Reduction Network at the national government's drug advisory body since 2007, and for the World Policy blog, recently wrote the post headline, The Social Roots of the New Drug Scare in Budapest. Featured in the new WPJ winter issue, Coverline Native Voices, you'll find an inside account of struggles behind the UN Declaration of Indigenous Rights and articles about a flawed treaty in New Zealand, rediscovered native roots in Norway, and the viral battle being waged by Bedouin Arabs. Plus, Portugal's economic prospects, Nigeria's growing cinema industry, Nollywood, and much more. World Policy on Air is a production of World Policy Journal at the nonprofit World Policy Institute in New York. Editor Jessica Laudis, managing editor Laurel Jerombeck, podcast producer Isabel Vazquez. I'm David Alpern.